We're this morning in Matthew chapter 8. We're in a really familiar passage. It is the, uh, the Great Commission. But as we talk about it this morning, I'm going to go in a direction that, uh, that it isn't usually taken, I think, anyway. I'm not, it, it's there, but I'm going to back it up. And I want to talk about um, who it is, who we are, who are called to take this commission into the world. So we're in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read... <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and read 16 to 20. We'll talk through 18 to 20. Hear then the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people. We have gathered to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We want to hear your word and we would like it to... Father, come into our lives with power, to speak it into our lives afresh, to call us into a deeper discipleship, to call us into a more serious pursuit of the things that concern you. So, Father, as we now take these moments to to listen, will you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and work in our lives in ways that change us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Last week we talked about Jesus' claim that the reign of God had come, that the reign of God had begun, that the kingdom of God had come into the presence of the people where he was doing ministry, that as he was expelling demons and healing the sick and doing these signs, he says these were evidence of the kingdom, evidence and proof that he was the Messiah King, the son of David. Jesus claimed to have bound Satan power, as he was explaining his ministry and explaining what he was doing and how he was accomplishing it, he was saying that he has bound Satan's power and he was beginning to plunder his house, his kingdom, to populate his own. And you, in that sense, are the plunder of the king as he fills out his own kingdom and builds his church. And so we said we should pray for that kingdom to keep coming, for that kingdom to come in my life and in your life, in the way that we live and in, and in the ways that our whole life is shaped as kingdom people, subjects of the Lord Jesus, to seek first his kingdom before all others and to represent as ambassadors his kingdom well. As we turn now to this same king and to listen to him again as he gives really marching orders to his new loyal subjects, Right? He has plundered that kingdom and he has begun to fill out his own. He has his own people, citizens of his kingdom, and he gives them marching orders as he leaves them. What difference does the reign of God, what difference does the reign of Messiah King make? What should we be? What should we be doing? And that's part of what Jesus is addressing in this passage. What difference does it make as he leaves? He gives this commission mission to build the church, to build the kingdom, to press forward what he has begun, the good work that he's begun in each one of us, 
He says we're to make disciples of all nations, and that good work is to begin in others and others and others and to see it go forward. But what he calls his people to is discipleship, right? He says to go into all the world and to make disciples. We're to be disciples who make disciples, right? That's what we're called to, to first be disciples so that we can make disciples. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is the emphasis not so much on the going and the making, which when this passage is usually preached, the emphasis is on the going and the making, which is there. And and it's fully a sermon to be preached after this one or another time. But what I want to focus in on is those who are going and making, who he's talking to as he's giving them this direction, this call. I want to talk about what it means to be disciples. Sam Albury, it's there in your bulletin under the first point, talking about the king's order. He says this, the fact is that the gospel demands everything from all of us. If someone thinks that the gospel has somehow somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or to their aspirations, it is likely that they've really not started following Jesus at all. If it hasn't disrupted things a little bit, to come under his lordship, his kingship, to seek first his kingdom and his priorities, to be his people, to advance his purposes, if that doesn't disrupt your kingdom some, then as he says, it's questionable whether we've really entered into that kind of discipleship. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's there in your bulletin, he said, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church. It's going to lose its authenticity. It's going to forfeit the loyalty of millions. And it's going to be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th or the 21st century. If we don't recapture this sacrificial spirit, we're going to forfeit He says, the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club. And there are some ways that that is exactly what's happening to the church today. The more that we try to speak into the culture and as the culture slides, that we're being more and more dismissed as an irrelevant social club. And some of the reason that that is the case is that for a lot of people, discipleship is treating the church like a social club. And we haven't recaptured that sacrificial spirit that drove the church forward in its early centuries. See, the context of this passage is Easter, right? The context of this commission is the resurrection of Christ. It has already happened. It is a resurrected Jesus that is speaking here. He is not in the tomb. He's not here. He is risen. The grave is empty. It is the risen Christ speaking to his people, the Christ who has already atoned for their sin. The Christ who has already defeated death. The Christ who has already broken Satan's power and has bound it and pushed it back and is plundering his kingdom. It's the Christ who is building his church. It is this Christ that is speaking to the church, his people, his new loyal subjects, and giving them this command. And he starts out in verse 18 and he says, it says Jesus came to them and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Just stop for one moment and just think about that. That is an extravagant claim. That is an extraordinary thing to say. 
all authority. In heaven, where God reigns, and on the earth, where all creatures exist, all authority in these spheres has been given to me. This is a royal authority. It is a kingly authority. This, all of this authority in heaven and earth, we have to just say, is God's authority. Because God reigns in heaven and he created the heavens and the earth and they are his. By right of creation and his own omnipotence and deity and self-existence as he brings these things into existence. This is God's sphere. He reigns in heaven and over the earth. And so this power that Jesus claims, he claims to be the Lord of the universe. Right? He claims to be God's king and to possess his power, his authority, his exousia is the word that's used there. And it's, it, it is power, but it's not just like the force of power. It's, it's authority. It's rightful authority. It's like a, a king who has the right to rule in a certain place and over certain people. We talked about this last week. We spent the whole sermon really talking about it because, but here's the thing is we hit it again and if we wanted to, we could spend weeks on it because it is the, it's one of the major themes and really the reality that permeates the entirety of the New Testament is this, this idea that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. King Jesus there in your bulletin. It's what was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. You see it there. It says to him, which ultimately we know now is Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Right? It's John 17 that Jesus says, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundations of the world. Before the world was made, he had a glory with the Father. And here he, he cries out for it to be restored to him in his resurrection. And so this dominion and glory and a kingdom is given to him. And he says that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Is that not a definition of the church? Is that, a, is that not a good sort of summary statement of gathering of all nations and tribes? If we went around and said, what is your background? What nation could you arise out of? I would be Scottish and Swedish a little bit English, my wife is German and Irish, and you know, if we went around the room, we got nations and tribes, the gospel still is the kingdom, is permeating the earth, all people, this is the church, gathering to serve him, this king who's been given glory and a kingdom, and so all, and, and this is the picture of Revelation, isn't it, in the other end of the kingdom, that this picture of a throng that no one can number, of every tribe and language and nation and tongue, it's the church. And so here it is that he would have this dominion. It would be an everlasting dominion. It would not pass away. This is what he says in Acts chapter 2. We were talking about this in Sunday school. David, who was a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath, that he would set a descendant, one of David's descendants, on his throne forever, and he would not see corruption. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He was the one not abandoned to Hades, who enters into an eternal, right, a dominion that is everlasting. It doesn't end, it's taken away. He is exalted to the right hand of God as the Davidic promised king. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. It's there in your bulletin. Let me do one more. 
Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And this would be my prayer is that as we move on from this to talk about the other things. It's the context. His authority and dominion over all things is the context of the church and his call to us. Paul prays for the church. He prays for us and he says, I'm praying for you guys that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, open, that you could see. To see what? That you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glory inheritance of this glorious inheritance of the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? For us who are receiving this call in, in Matthew chapter 28 to go and to make disciples and to be disciples. This power for us who believe according to the working that was worked when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him where? At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and dominion and power and a name that is above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age that is to come. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And Paul's praying that the church would get this, that their eyes would be opened, that they could see their king reigning in power with all authority in heaven and earth is his. Does this change anything for us? When he tells you to do something, when he tells you to go somewhere, when he tells you to be something, when he gives you a mission or a commission, does it change anything? When when permeating this is the, the eyes of our hearts and our souls to be open to see, as Thomas saw, as he, or, uh, <coughs> um, I guess Stephen saw as he was being stoned and he looks up and he sees Christ at the right hand of God. Does it make a difference to him? As we do whatever we do, that this is that understanding that the church must have about who we are and what we're doing. He is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Above every name that could be named. In this age and in the age to come. And he has started something. And he is not done with it. He's begun a good work in you that he will carry on a completion to the day of Christ. And he has begun to build a church that he will carry on until every tribe, nation, language, and tongue is given up its people and it's chosen into his people for his own name. It will stand as an innumerable mass before his throne on that great day. It is not, Jesus does not say go. Until he has said, mine. Right? You see that in this text. Jesus does not say go until he says, mine. It's all mine. Right? The, the authority of God himself is mine. The authority of heaven, it's mine. The authority over the earth and all that has been made, mine. The authority of the people in your com- over the people of your community, over your president and your legislatures, over the world and the chaos that it's in. In some sense, it's hard to see in the... Bible speaks to that, but he says, however it looks to you in this moment, mine. This is the basis of his sending. I'm not sure what tone of voice Jesus used. I tried to imagine, I was thinking if I was standing there with him, he came to his 11, it's like his last parting, you know, marching orders, and he says this. You know, what was his tone of voice? How loud did he say it? Because I want to say it really loud. I want to yell it at you. Right? And, you know, a tone of voice, of authority. I mean, I can only imagine. I don't know what tone. He may have said it very quietly. Because Jesus is like that. All I can think of, though, is it's like a statement that 
that rumbles like deep thunder through the ages. Right? All authority in heaven and on the earth is mine. It's mine. Go. Therefore, therefore, because of this, this with this in your heads, with this, the eyes of your mind and your heart enlightened to see the truth and the power of this, you go and make disciples. The rightful king of the universe commissions us, and he sends us, and he says, I am with you, I am with you to the very end of the ages, and he is king, not only in this age, and in the age to come, and this king, he says, I am with you. But here's the thing, before we contemplate any obedience, before we contemplate this calling, before we think about what we're going to do or where we're going to go or how we're going to do it, he says, first you must stop and contemplate and see and understand the authority of the king. Because when you see that, it will change your going. Where is our confidence? Where is our hope? Where is our boldness to stand before kings and nations and speak such exclusive statements, to say the kind of things, to call sin, sin, and to say Christ is Lord and there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Where does such confidence come from? I know I don't have it. And Paul says it's not, it's confidence is not in ourselves. It's in the king who calls. And who before he says go, says mine. It is the fact of his absolute sovereignty in his reign that does not lead to inactivity, which is where sometimes we end up. I don't know how we get there because it seems to lead to confident, obedient disciples going and doing, tutoring, teaching, leading, growing. Spurgeon says, I know that with many of us, there's this tendency. It's there in your bulletin under the last point. He says, I know there's this tendency to sit down and to say, all things are wrong. The world is getting darker and darker. Everything is going from to bad. We sit down and we fret together in the most delightful manner, in the most delightful misery. We cheer each other downwards into greater depths of despair. Have you ever been in those conversations? where we get together in our tendency. And I know it's, trust me, I, I don't live in a cave. I know where we live. I know what time it is. Lift up your eyes. The son of David reigns. And all authority in heaven and earth is his. And he said, go. He said, teach. He said, speak. He said, stand forth. He said, you are my ambassadors. And I will make my appeal through you. It will never happen if we, our eyes don't see it. To make disciples of all nations, languages, tribes, and tongues. But before we can do all that, and this is where I want to spend the application part of this sermon and just calling us to discipleship is just this. Let me say that for the church to go and make disciples, which is what this text is calling us to do, you guys go and make disciples. Before we can do that, we have to be disciples. Right? Isn't that the prerequisite underneath that? Isn't that the presupposition underneath that? If you're going to make disciples, 
You've got to be a disciple. Because you can only reproduce yourself. Right? There's a sense in which you can't give what you don't have. You can't lead people to a place you have not gone. You can't, you can't tell them to experience things you haven't experienced. Right? So there's this behind the command for his disciples to go. Jesus has spent his time with them. Right? He's been teaching them. They have followed him everywhere, and he's been teaching them and teaching them. He sits them down on the mountain, and he teaches them Sermon on the Mount. And again and again, it says they're in camp at night, and they're asking him questions. And there's this, this process where they sit at the feet of Jesus, and they learn, and they learn, and they learn from him. And then he says, go. See, the number one hindrance to the fulfillment of this commission to make disciples is this, at least for some of the things I read. And I... You know, you know, if it fits here, here, but in the church, the larger church in America, it's, it's this. The number one hindrance to making disciples is that our church is more often full of converts than we are disciples. Right? We're full of converts more than we are with disciples. See, what is a convert? A convert is someone who adopts a particular religion. Right? We adopt a religion. We identify ourselves with a particular re- religion. I will be a Christian. I will believe all those things. And so we identify with a religion, and then we begin to observe its formal practices. They meet on a certain time, so I'll go meet with them. Right? A convert identifies with a religion. A disciple follows and obeys. Right? The word disciple in, in the Greek there is mathetes. It's a, it's a word that in the verb form is to teach. In the noun form is, 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 the, is the, well, is, is a learner, is a student. Mathetes is to learn, is to be a student. And so Plato had disciples, people who followed him around. And what they did was they followed him and listened to everything he said. And they tried to understand it and absorb it and to put their life in that pattern. And then they become, as Plato moves on, then they can do that with others. It's, a, it's an old pattern of discipling to someone. And so a disciple is someone who comes under the teaching of Christ. Which is why the first thing he says, go and make disciples, baptize them is the way in the front door. And he says, and then what's the first thing you're to do in verse 20? Teach them. Teach them everything. Teach them everything. Make sure they get and understand everything. A disciple follows and obeys. right? And a disciple of Jesus bows the knee to his king and he follows and obeys with all of his heart. You know, Jesus says that this is what it's like. I mean, it's not a sermon to go in this direction today, but I mean, just think of like his parable of the treasure in a field. The kingdom of God, his kingdom, is, is is like a treasure hidden in a field. And so to enter into his kingdom, and again, he's calling disciples into his kingdom, to bow his knee to him as their king. And he says it's like finding this treasure, and it's so valuable, right? It's so desirable, it is so necessary that I'm willing to sell everything I have, right, to invest all all of my time and resources and money, whatever I got, to liquidate it and to buy it. It's to go all in. Right, and he says, so this is, this is a discipleship. And he says it again and again. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of me unless you love me more than your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. Yeah, even your own life, you're not worthy of me unless you, you know, deny yourself daily and take up your cross. You cannot follow me. You know, again and again he says, discipleship is a costly thing. 
He calls us to make disciples and to teach disciples. And we're to teach them to obey everything. And so the prerequisite there for us is to be disciples, to learn everything so that we can teach everything and to be obeying everything so that we're the kind of pattern that people can follow, to follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Paul says that again and again. I don't think that's arrogance. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's biblical discipleship. You can't tell someone to follow you, to teach them and to lead them and to give them a pattern. You know, if, again, if we, we can't give what we don't have. So it begs that question, are we learning everything? First thing we're to do is to teach everything. Are we learning everything and obeying everything so that we can pass it on? called to make disciples by passing everything that Jesus taught on and what it means to follow him, then our our discipleship begins with learning everything. Doesn't it? Do you follow me? Is it not there that if we have to teach everything, then, then our discipleship begins basically where those new disciples are, learning everything so that we can pass it on. This is where I'm going to come. I don't know who says these kind of things, and maybe you said them to me, or I usually get these things second and third hand. And this is one of those things. I think people think sometimes there are those people who like to learn stuff, and more power to you. All right, you go learn stuff, and that's good for you, but I, I don't like to learn stuff. Or, you know, whatever it is, or I'm just not into it as you are, or I'm not as. But what I hear Jesus saying is that the first mark of discipleship is you come under teaching. And we're going to go out and expect to, to, to bring people to faith and to expect them to come under teaching, the teaching of everything, and then obedience to everything. You know, there's lots of comments. We don't have time for such things. I don't have time for Sunday school, or I don't have time for a small group, or I don't like it. I don't like it. It's too much like school, or it's too much like college, or it's too much like work. And, uh, and I do enough work in my life. I really don't, you know, or I did my share of schooling, or, you know, that's why I don't go anymore. And so I'm kind of done with that kind of my friends, I want to come to you this morning and say, lit- literally, disciple means learning. That is its definition. That is what it, it is. And I think one of the trouble with the church is we're trying to engage in these cultural warfare with people who are saying, this is God's word. Uh, uh, you know, this is right and wrong. This is what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And the culture is making choices we don't like and it saying things that we don't agree with, and we're trying to engage in some of these these arguments, and I think part of the problem with the church is that we don't know our stuff. We don't know the Bible the way we should. We don't know where those arguments come from, and we don't know it as part of a larger thing that is shaped, in a sense, what we would call a worldview, that is shaped the way I think about all these things. The first thing Jesus says about being a disciple is learning everything about his word. Teach him everything that I've said and everything, and you can extrapolate that because I believe that this whole book is everything Jesus said um, in in both covenants and in both (coughs) periods of time. But I would say whether it's the red letters, I think it's a dangerous thing, but the minimum, the red letters, but all of it is his word. Teach him everything that I've said. You and I both know that would take some work. It takes some work not just for the scope of the task, the task, there's a lot to learn, 
And that's, you know, but also it's hard work, and some of it is hard to learn. Some of it's confusing. Some of it is like it's going to take some work to sit down and work through what you're saying to me. But I, I ask you this. Did, you, did the disciples ever do that with Jesus? Did they ever scratch their head? Did they ever have to, you know, grab him later and, like, ask follow-up questions to, to get what he's saying? You know, do you think even the first time around when they taught it to him, when they were walking to him, do you think they got it all? You think it wasn't later that as they, the, the Holy Spirit comes and, is, and all these things go down that they start to get it? Right? It is like work. It is like school. It's the school of Christ. It's Bible study. Right? Jesus sat them down. He'd take them up on a mountain and sit them down and start teaching them. And he'd teach them long sermons that they would have to grab them later to even understand everything that he was talking about. It sounds like Sunday school. Half the time they were scratching their head. What is he talking about? That's a hard saying. I'm not sure what I can do with that. But here's the thing. They didn't stop listening just because Jesus was confusing or he was hard to get or they had to work toward understanding. In fact, there was nothing more in life. This, this field was so valuable that they were willing to sell every other form of work, every other form of whatever it was to get this. You and I are willing to work so hard to get a good job. You know, I'm willing to put out money and time and effort to get an education, to study. I'm willing, a lot of you going back to grad school and more grad school, why? To get a better job and to do, like we're willing to do work. But for some reason, the enemy just deceives us to say, don't think you should have to work at church. Don't think you should have to work about this whole following Jesus thing. You know, sure, you got to work hard out in the world. And sure, it's worth it out there. You know, it's worth it because you get money and you get stuff. But called to love, we are called to love God, not only with all of our heart and soul, but we're called to love him with all of our mind and all of our strength, with our work, right? All of our mind and all of our strength. There it is, Proverbs, under the last point in your bulletin, he says, my son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to it, to understanding, yes, if you Call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Give it to me. If you seek it, if you search for it, it's for hidden treasure, like a kingdom hidden in a field. He says, then you will understand. And not until then, until you receive and treasure up and are attentive and incline your heart and call for it and raise your voice and seek it and search for it, then you will understand. Sounds like work. But you will understand here is the treasure, the fear of the Lord and the worth every effort to be sought, cried out for. See, faithful discipleship means being a lifelong learner. We never graduate from the school of Christ. So one of my applications of this is just to put out, if you haven't already got that, that in our lives we need to be asking ourselves, where am I sitting at the feet of Christ and working hard, loving him with my mind and my strength as well as my heart and soul to learn everything that he's taught us so that I understand it so that I can represent it well. How can I be an ambassador of that which I don't get? You know, because it's too much work to, to, to do that. And so, or I might have to get up early, or I might have to come back at night, or I might have to, it's, you know, it, it, there's an investment there, and I'm invested too much elsewhere. And I would say, my friends, 
It's like a treasure hidden in a field. And we've got to sell everything to buy that field as we buy into Christ. I'll throw out there, Greg has been working on over the last eight months that he's been here. He's already developed a five-year curriculum for Sunday school. We're, we're looking to step back and say, how do we revamp this? We want to think more in terms of discipleship. What does it look like to grow disciples? To move us beyond conversion and affiliation with the church to discipleship, learning everything and, and, and obeying. He says, teach them to obey everything. Lives changed and shaped by it. And so we're thinking, how do we, what, what is it that the church needs to know? And so we've been looking at other materials and pulling together and a, a curriculum of stuff, 12 different areas that we're laying out over five years. If you were to get in it, in the Bible track, you would cover the whole Bible in five years. Biblical literacy, we call that. Probably took you that long to learn the English language. You were in school, the penmanship and all that. And yeah, you go back to school. You know, biblical literacy, five years, but also there are tracks on theology and there are tracks on practical Christian living and discipleship, and it's all there. But we want to lay out in such a way that if you get involved over a, a period of years, you get the school of Christ. And we want small group to take on some of those same patterns. This is something he's going to work on as a goal this year. We put him right to work, this guy. I mean, we, you know, give me this, give me that. He's working on it, working on it. So we want the same kind of thing. We're thinking in our small groups very deliberately about what we're studying so it's not haphazard and we're not just, well, what do you want to study now? Well, I saw this thing or I heard that thing or what about this? What are the areas that we want to make sure that the foundations are laid? And what are the resources we would recommend in every area so that your small group over years can work through material and make sure those foundations are laid and fill in the gap and to, you know, discuss it and to apply it in ways that you can't in Sunday school or on a Sunday morning. Dallas Willard says, we do not give ourselves to it in a way that allows our lives to be taken over by it. Friends, the New Testament idea of discipleship, the way it is presented by Jesus and the apostles with absolute clarity and definitive call and demand is that it is the kind of thing that should take over, that takes over life. We don't give it ourselves to it in a way that allows our lives to be taken over by it. Well, friends, we can do that. We can give ourselves over it completely because Jesus has given himself over for us so completely. It's because he has loved us that we can love him. With all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, in a sense, he loves us. Because he is God and his love is a perfect love and it casts out fear. And then he calls us to return that love with all of who we are, all of who we are. He doesn't say go until he says mine, echoing through time like thunder. All authority is mine as I call you to be a disciple and to make disciples. You're mine. As we struggle to learn and to grow and to be disciples, the omnipotent king says, I'm with you. I'm with you always. Even when you're wrestling to understand it and to get it and to get up and to do it, I'm with you. If you abide in me, if you obey, much fruit will follow. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. Jesus, thank you that you are always with us, that you have given yourself so completely for us and that you have given yourself and you keep giving yourself. You've poured out your Holy Spirit that you abide in us as Emmanuel, the present king, 
reigning in our hearts and our lives, come and help us to bow the knee and to learn all that you have to teach that we might be full and able to make disciples and to say, follow me as I follow Christ. God, help us to follow you fully and fully. In Jesus' name we ask and pray.